this morning, let's, let's welcome Apostle Calloway to the pulpit. He's, he's part of Apostle Dale's apostolic team. He has oversight over the churches, his wisdom, his knowledge, and his heart to be a pastor to people in God's kingdom is coming through. So, so Apostle, please come and, and, and welcome us this morning and, and share God's love. Amen. Amen. Come on, clap those hands and praise the Lord this morning. Good morning to Grace Point, and we are grateful to the Lord for this opportunity to be with you on this morning, and I thank Apostle Dale for this um, opportunity to allow me to preach God's word in his stead. Let's thank God for him and Jill and the family this morning. Let me, if you would bear with me for just a moment, I wanted to mention that I've just um, released a new book, and it's entitled Deeper Awareness, a Framework for Progressive Spirituality. And my wife and my girls, they're manning the table um, out there this morning if you want to purchase a book. And to those of you who, are, who have already purchased the book, I thank you so much for your support. And the book is basically a personal journey that I've had to make a decision to live a free spiritual life based on investigating truths and not just accepting truths that were passed down from generation to generation. So I pray that you will uh, purchase it and I do believe that, that you will be blessed and we just appreciate um, all of you for your love and support. I wanna invite your attention this morning to the book of Galatians chapter two. Galatians chapter two. And we're going to begin our reading at verse 19, Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. And it reads, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And verse 21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And from those verses, I want to preach from the subject today, live free or die hard. Live free or die hard. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this opportunity to minister the word of the Lord, and I pray that your Holy Spirit, that he will accomplish his intended purpose in every heart and every life. We thank you that your word will bring about healing in our spirits, in our minds, and in our bodies. Be glorified in Jesus' precious name, and all God's people said amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Does anybody have a birthday today? Does anybody have a birthday? <laughs> Did anybody have a birthday yesterday? Did anybody have a birthday on Friday? Okay, well, I was going to bless somebody with a free book if you had a birthday this past. No, that, that's not close enough. That's not close enough. <laughs> One of the 
greatest illustrations that I have seen of the law and grace comes from the Andy Griffith Show. Are they up? Okay. Barney Fife represents the law. Andy Taylor represents grace. Of course, we know that Barney is a stickler of the law and is always at odds with the citizens of Mayberry because he is zealous of the law. Why Andy always engages in some type of diplomacy or damage control as a grace enforcer when citizens have been hurt, violated, harassed, disrespected, and terrorized by Deputy Fife as the law enforcer. Barney focuses on the religion of law keeping, but Andy focuses on relationship building. The law is about force, but grace is about finesse. And, and when I begin to think about that and when it occurred to me as a revelation, you know, there's a reason why Andy is the sheriff and Barney is the deputy. Because the law has to yield to the power of grace. The law defines me as a sinner, but grace refines me as a saint. And whenever we're defined by the law, we are marked out the limits and the boundaries and that the law through the vehicle of religion is designed to keep you limited and restricted where you can only go so far and do so much. But when we are refined, we are developed and improved so as to be precise, elegant, and cultured in appearance, with impurities or unwanted elements having been removed by processing. So it is the grace of God that is removing the impurities and the unwanted elements of religion from our lives by processing with the gospel of the grace of God. Most people have and perhaps still believe that God is a lot like Barney Fife. As a badgering, antagonistic perfectionist. As he runs around with this rule book trying to catch Mayberians breaking the law and will consequently write them a citation or put them in jail. While Andy, on the other hand, will offer advice, mediation, conciliation, and other level-headed approaches with wisdom and tactfulness. The church for so long has had more Barneys than Andys. More law enforcers than grace enforcers. The law says do, but grace says done. The law says try, but grace says trust. The law says behave, but grace says believe. The weakness of the law is the flesh, but the strength of grace is the spirit. The law cannot give life, but it can only point to a standard of behavior that God would accept 
but we couldn't produce it in our own flesh. So the law is like a mirror. It can show you the problem, but it doesn't have the power to fix the problem. The law can only find what's wrong, but only grace can fix what's wrong. Somebody may ask, Apostle, we know that Andy represents grace and Barney represents the law, but how, how does Otis, the Mayberry Town drunk, how does he come into play with all of this? Otis is a representation of a mixture of law and grace. Apostle called it the hybrid gospel. When Otis gets intoxicated out of his guilt and his shame, he will go to the Mayberry Jail. He will get the key off the nail. He will unlock the cell. And he will let himself in and he will incarcerate himself. He will put his hand back through the cell and put the key back on the nail. But once he sobers up, then he'll put his arm back through the cell, get the key off the nail, and then he'll let himself out. See, and a lot of us, we do like oldest when it comes down to law and grace. When we voluntarily place ourselves under the bondage of the law, we become intoxicated with guilt. We become intoxicated with shame. We, we become intoxicated with condemnation. We become intoxicated with judgment. And we do just like oldest. We become so intoxicated, we incarcerate ourselves in the religious jail. But when we sober up, and recognize the grace of God has done the work for us that we don't have to do. When we come to a place of soberness, you've got to learn to put your arm through the sail, get the key off the nail. You've got to let yourself out of the religious jail so you can be free and free indeed. But so many people like Otis, they keep going back to jail, locking themselves up. Then they'll hear a message on grace and then they'll free themselves. But then during the course of the week, they'll subjugate themselves right back to the law, lock themselves up again, and they find themselves going through that process over and over and over. Now in this text in Galatians 2, Paul is in conference with the apostles in Jerusalem having taken Titus and Barnabas with him after having spent about 15 years in ministry and having established churches growing and grooming believers in the grace of God. And there were, of course, disputes that were being resolved at that time over doctrine. And Paul determined that his experiences with God by his divine grace that converted him and commissioned him in ministry would not be compromised to gain the favor of his apostolic colleagues who may not have understood how God dealt with him. And you cannot allow anyone to discount your experience with God by his divine grace, and you cannot compromise it just to have colleagues in ministry. Because your affiliation can become your limitation. Sometimes we can only go so far and do so much by who we choose to affiliate with. So you want people in your circle that will help contribute to your freedom and not contribute to your spiritual incarceration. That's why Paul said here in verse 19, he said, he said, for I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live under God. 
In other words, he says, in my personal experience, on the account of the law or about ground or reason of the law, having taken all things into consideration in regards to this issue of law versus grace, he said, I'm dead to the law. Paul argued with these apostles that if he should return to the law after having come to God through faith in Christ, that would cause him to turn grace back into God, telling Christ, thanks but no thanks, I can do it myself. Can I tell you, salvation is not a do-it-yourself kit. But it is a Jesus has already done it himself kit. And all you have to do is receive and appropriate to your life what has been afforded to you. So Paul is saying, there was a time that I would keep myself under the guilt and the judgment and the punishment of sin, which is the purpose of the law. But he said, I'm dead to the law. And when he says that he's dead to the law, he simply means that he has ceased to have any relationship with the law. That it no longer exists in his spiritual life. So it can have no further claim or control over him now that he's a recipient of the grace of God. And he now sees the law as a body of legalistic statutes to which he has died. And for a person to voluntarily subjugate themselves to the Ten Commandments or the Law of Moses or church law or any other law, it's like trying to redeem an expired coupon. An expired coupon has no present value. It only had value in its past, but it doesn't have any value in its present. To give you another example, imagine a man who has committed murder. According to the law, if found guilty, he must be put to death. He's arrested, charged with murder, brought to trial. The court is in session, the judge is on the bench. The accused man hears the accusation and the charge read to him. But before the trial is conducted, the accused man suffers a heart attack and drops dead in the courtroom. A doctor declares him dead and signs the death certificate. Now what does the judge do? After the commotion is over, does he call court to order and say, let us proceed with the trial of this dead man? Of course not. You cannot try a dead man or condemn him to death, for he's already dead. Now, in the case of the criminal in this illustration, he simply cheated or circumvented the law. It was the prerogative of the law to execute this man, but he died before the law could put him to death. But Paul lets us know that he himself, he did not cheat death. He did not circumvent or beat death or the law, but that the law itself put him to death. In other words, Paul is saying the law found me guilty and it executed me. The law slew me. Now, to give an, uh, let me amplify this illustration. Imagine again the criminal before the bar of justice. The witnesses are called and all testify to the guilt of murder. The judge declares him guilty and sets the day for sentencing. 
And when the day comes, the judge, he reads from the law, the penalty for murder. It is death for the criminal. And the judge orders the man to be hanged by the neck until he's dead and sets the date for execution. The sentence is carried out, and on the appointed day, the man is led to the gallows and hanged. The physician declares the man dead, and the case is closed. So not only is the man dead to the law, but he's dead through the law. That's what Paul is saying. The law put him to death. The law can do no more. The law is satisfied. And this is what Paul is saying happened to him. He said, I through the law am dead to the law, but this is not the end of the story. Three days after the guilty man is executed, you see this same man early one morning walking down the street. At first, you can't believe your eyes. You look more closely, but there's no doubt about it. The criminal is alive. You rush to the home of the judge. You arouse him from his bed. And you said, Judge, remember the man that was executed three days ago? Well, he's alive. I saw him with my own eyes. Call the police. Call the sheriff. Call the National Guard. Call the FBI. Call President Trump. Pick up this dangerous criminal. The judge is not impressed at all. He says, let me look at the record. And so the judge looks at the record and declares that the man is still dead legally because of the execution <laughs> and because of the death certificate that has been written. Are y'all with me? And the words are stamped on his file, case closed. According to the law, he's dead whether you've seen him walking around or not. He's legally dead. You know why? Because he has paid the penalty. I've watched enough Perry Mason, Matlock, and L.A. Law to know the law of double jeopardy that you can't punish a man twice for the same crime. And if the man is alive again, it is no concern to the law because the law did not anticipate a resurrection. There is no provision in the law as to what to do in such a case as a resurrection because he's free. He's dead to the law. And what happened to Paul happened to all of us that were born again. We were executed by the law, but grace raised us up again. Somebody may want to know, Apostle Calloway, where did you die? I died at Calvary. I died when Christ died. When Jesus died on the cross, people only saw a physical human body nailed to the cross by hands and feet. But when God looked down at Jesus at the cross, he saw another body. He saw a spiritual body that consists of you and I because we are his body connected to his head. 
The, I'm talking about the mystical body of believers. We are the members of Christ that are called to his body consisting of all individual believers who make up the church. So what happened to the head of the church that day on Calvary happened to all of his members because the church is a spiritual body. Paul said in Ephesians 5.30, he said, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So since I'm a part of Christ's body, when his body was on the cross, that means that I was on the cross too. So Paul said, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live under God. That word live means to come to be all that God has intended in your walk with him. And how many know we've spent too much time dying in religion and not spending enough time living in the fullness of our salvation? We need to live unto God. Don't live unto the church. Don't live unto people. Don't live unto position. Don't live under people's opinions of you. Don't let things or people rob you of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Sometimes you've got to let go of what you've always known. You've got to let go of, of, of things you've always done and let Christ live his life through you. Because Jesus is a life giver and not a law giver. And then here in verse 20, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And he said, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I died to trying to live righteous with self-effort, willpower, following man-made rules and regulations. The law of Moses, we are dead to the system of the law. But the standard of the law still exists in the law of love. Because Jesus only left us two commandments. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the vertical beam of the cross. And he said, and the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. That's the horizontal beam of the cross. And, and, and those two beams are nailed at the center. And he said, on those two commandments... Hang all the law and the prophets. So that's the standard of the law. So the Holy Spirit enables us to fulfill the law through Christ. The system of the law brings me to a place of death, but the standard of the law brings me to a place of life. And you know, Christ not only died for me, but Christ died as me. You know, oftentimes we have taught Christ's death as the law of substitution, that he died in our place. But Christ's death is actually the law of identification, that we died with him. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. With is a preposition, which means nearness and connection. Remember, we're the body and we're connected to his head. In Romans 6, 4, Paul said, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism in the death. That even as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. Can I tell you, a dead man can't keep any laws. So once he's resurrected, he can't be judged by any laws because the case has been closed. Jesus died for the whole world, proving his love for the whole world, and the world's sin has been taken away. And his love for us was individualized. It wasn't just for the abstract populace of humanity. 
Christ died for all of us as individuals. We died with Christ in principle, and we are to live with Christ in practice. So we are to identify with Christ in death in order to be indwelt by Christ through his resurrection. His life is now our life because we're in him and he's in us, living through us. That's why Paul said, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. In other words, the law will make you self-centered. I can't do this right. I can't do that right. The law makes you self-centered, but grace makes you Christ-centered. Grace is all about what Christ can do through you. Look at verse 21. He said, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. That word frustrate means to do away with something laid down, presented, or established. To act towards anything as though it were annulled. To throw the efficacy of anything, to nullify, make void. Listen, the only way you can cease from being frustrated in your own spiritual life is when you cease frustrating the grace of God in your life that wants you to live free. It takes nobility and it takes humility to accept what God offers. But we have to receive it his way. Which is by grace to live free or choose the bondage of the law and die hard. The law will frustrate, but grace will emancipate. When you're frustrated, you have a feeling or an expression of distress and annoyance because of the inability to change something. You're going to always be frustrated when you try to live according to the law perfectly. You're going to always be frustrated when you try to get the Ten Commandments down pat. James said that if you're going to, James 2.10, he said, if you're going to keep the law and be guilty in one point, he said, you're guilty of all. So you might as well let Christ live his life through you because Christ has fulfilled the law in totality. So when I make a decision to allow Christ to live through me by the grace of God, that means that he kept the law so I wouldn't have to. And I don't understand. We live in such a society that loves free things, but nobody wants a free salvation. Everybody wants to clock in and work for it when the price has already been paid. So it's done by grace. Grace is twofold. Grace is the inexhaustible supply of the goodness of God, what he does for us, what we are absolutely incapable of doing for ourselves. It is the state of highest privilege or position as it relates to our salvation. Now, as it relates to ministry, grace is a divine enablement or supernatural assistance for us to perform the works of God unto which we've been called. 
And as we exercise the gifts, talents, and abilities that the Lord has endowed us with, when we operate in our life's calling, where our place is, is where our grace is. Where our place is is where our grace is. Now, if I go back there and try to start playing that keyboard, I'm not going to have no grace. The Lord is not going to help me. He's not going to supernaturally empower me and endow me because that's not my place. Where your place is is where your grace is. Whenever you attempt to operate outside of your gifted parameters, there will be no grace there to assist you. So you have to learn to stay within your gifted sphere of grace. Romans 12, 6 says, having then gifts differing according to the grace which is given to us, which means that our gifts are varying in kind. There are certain distinctions based on our gifting or our charisma. And how many know just because we play on the same team doesn't mean that we all are supposed to play the same position? Because, listen, if everybody is on the same team trying to play the same position, you don't have a team, you have chaos. But when there's a team, everybody knows their place. And where their place is, is where their grace is going to be. So Paul said, for if righteousness would come by the law, righteousness is the state of him who is as he ought to be, a condition acceptable before God. To be righteous simply means to think correctly, feel correctly, and act correctly. Jesus has attained our state whereby we've been approved of God. Religion says, I can do it. But relationship with Christ says, I can do it through you. Religion is about self-help. Relationship with Jesus is about having provided all the help you need. So righteousness cannot come or cannot be obtained by keeping the law. Those who enforce, think about it, those who enforce the law cannot keep it themselves. And you have to watch out for the Barney Fifes in the church. In Hebrews 7 and 19 it says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by which we draw near to God. Galatians 3.21 says if there had been a law that could have given life, that righteousness would have come by the law. What is life? Zoopio in Greek, it means to produce, alive, to forget or bear living young by spiritual power to arise, invigorate, spring up, and grow. Life can't come by the Ten Commandments. Life cannot come by the Mosaic Law. Life cannot come by church law. Life cannot come by denominational law. Life cannot come by the preacher's law. Life cannot come by made-up laws. <laughs> Life cannot come by unspiritual and unscriptural laws. These are the things that lead to sin. Because Paul said it. He said, without the law, sin is dead. You want to make sin come alive? Come up with some laws. Because all it does is aggravates and agitates sin. In Romans 6 and 14, 
Paul said, let not sin have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And you know, I've learned something in the church. Sometimes we are more obsessed with sin, hell, and the devil than we are with righteousness, heaven, and Jesus. Because think about it. If we crossed over on the other side, why we always got to spend time talking about the side we came from? What we need to do is focus on the side that we're already on, which is righteousness. So Paul said, if righteousness came by the law, he said, Christ is dead in vain. If you could do it yourself or keep the law perfectly, there would not have been any need for Christ to die for sin. But we know his death wasn't useless, but his death was useful. Religion is a dividing and divisive force. But grace is a uniting force. Grace is simply that I relate to God, not based on my own goodness, but his goodness and his desire to bless me. Where God acts freely according to his own nature of love, uncaused by men, but from his own heart. And when it comes to us, there are no debts to pay, no obligations to fulfill, because the law offers no salvation. And religion is all about control, limitation, and restriction. Those who will make the rules only want you to go so far and do so much. Because with them, it's not about the Savior. It's about you keeping their system. It's not about truth, but it's about their tradition. It's not about the movement of the Spirit of God for the future, but it's about the church being a museum only to reflect on the past. And I've said this before, you know, coming to church to worship the Lord shouldn't be like a visitation at a prison. Because when you visit a prison, there's no touch, no contact, no engagement. An institutionalized church has ruined and sabotaged a lot of people's lives in that religious formality has been substituted for salvation. And it has enslaved believers instead of emancipating them. The law has been fulfilled in our lives when we walk in the spirit because grace breaks the chains of religion. A false way of being, belonging, and believing, and behaving that's reinforced by a non-spiritual church environment and erroneous biblical teaching. And since Jesus has taken away our sin, stop taking the law and trying to chase those sins down and bring them back. <laughs> because they have been remitted. That word, I, I know Apostle preached on remission a few weeks ago. That word remitted means removed as if they have never been committed. Not long ago, I was doing laundry as my wife often makes me do. And one of the shirts I was putting in the washing machine had a stain on it. 
And I realized that stain probably wasn't going to come out just by merely putting it in the washing machine. So my daughter Hannah, she suggested to me to spray some OxyClean on the stain. So I took the OxyClean, I shh, shh, shh. I sprayed it on the stain. And that stain began to lift before I could put it in the washing machine. So after I washed the shirt, I lifted it up and looked at it. And the shirt was as, as clean as if I never had a stain. And that's what the Lord has done with your sins. He took his blood spray bottle and he shh, shh, shh. And the process began to lift. And so when he thoroughly washed you and cleansed you and put him up, put you up before himself, he sees your righteousness as if you've never committed a sin. So you're going to have to make a decision to live free in grace or die hard in law. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask the ministry team if they would come. And there may be somebody here today You want to live free. But you can do it because the grace of God has been availed to your disposal through the death and shed blood of Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is receive and appropriate to your life what Christ has already made available. So if you want to come today and receive the gift of salvation that has been afforded to you by the grace of God through the death and shed blood of Jesus Christ, we encourage you to come. And there may be others of you today, you may want prayer. Some of you have been in and out. You've been incarcerating yourself and you've been freeing yourself, incarcerating yourself and freeing yourself. That has to stop today. That self-condemnation, that self-judgment, putting yourself in religious jail. It's time for you to free yourself once and for all. Because Christ has already made you free. And Paul said that because he's made you free, he said, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Would you come today? Let the Lord free you. Let him emancipate you. Let him liberate you. Well, lift your hands before the Lord as we pray. Father, we bless your wonderful name today for your word. We thank you for your marvelous amazing and abundant grace. We thank you that through that grace we can live free. 
And we don't have to die hard through the bondage of the law. We thank you that our case is closed and grace has resurrected us. And that there was nothing that the law could do to anticipate a resurrection. And may this house and all who will hear my voice, that they will continue to live in that freedom that you have afforded through your death and shed blood on Calvary's cross. And because we're your body and you being the head, when you die, we die with you. You said just as we were planted in the likeness of your death, we were planted in the likeness of your resurrection. And we thank you for grace that has raised us from the dead. And we bless you for it and give you the praise for this precious gift. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Come on, clap those hands and praise him today. How many of y'all were blessed today by the word? Consider yourselves dismissed. May the Lord bless you. Keep you as our prayer.